Palace Museum. We have tons of museums in Taiwan. Mm. And you can take a dip into the Suao Cold Springs. Oh, I didn't. I said swimming. <laughs> that's it. There's a double. Okay. You don't swim in the cold springs. None of you guys are too specific. I do. But, I do um, laps in hot springs. I think bro. your answers are too specific. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So those are some ideas for you how to cool off in the summertime, Taiwan style. <laughs> The sound of the Puyuma tribe on Radio Taiwan International. What's this all about? Why are they doing that? What's going on here? It's Curious John. What is he curious about today? In 1935, Taiwan was hit with a case of exhibition fever. This was an era when world's fairs and expositions were all the rage, and finally, Taiwan was to get one of its own. The watchwords of the day were progress and modernity, and now Taiwan was, to the organizers at least, finally modern. But while the event certainly attracted visitors, were all of them equally thrilled about the supposed modernity on show? This is a question the National Taiwan Museum is looking at in a special exhibition that's just opened at its newly established Railway Department Park branch. The exhibit is called Debating Modern, the 1935 Taiwan Exposition, and its designer, Professor Mu Simian of National Taiwan University's Graduate Institute of Building and Planning, is here today for a peek inside. The date chosen for the Grand Expo, 1935, was not a coincidence. This was 40 years since Taiwan had come under Japanese colonial rule, and it was meant to show off just how much Japan had accomplished here as an imperial power. But, Professor Mu says, this wasn't all about might and geopolitics. A lot of the exhibits were meant to be fun. The sites were spread across Taiwan so that plenty of people could go see them. But there were also three or four main sites across Taipei that got the most attention. Visitors came from all over Taiwan, of course, but also from Japan proper and other parts of the Japanese Empire, in particular Korea and the puppet state of Manchukuo in Manchuria. There were also people coming from southern China, Thailand, the US and Germany. Locally, at least, it seems that a lot of the visitors came after they saw ads or posters. The Japanese-founded school system in Taiwan played a part too, with plenty of school groups showing up together to take in the sights. The newspapers that had sprung up under Japanese rule spread the word too. Most dramatically of all, there was a stunt involving leaflets thrown from an airplane. If we count all the sites across the island, Professor Mu says that in total, around 3.35 million people attended. There was a lot to see. At the first exhibition site in Taipei, there were the usual booths exalting industrial development. 
In particular, the growth of lumber, sugar, and mining in Taiwan under Japanese rule. This was complemented with a look at Taiwan's railways, plus a look at industrial development back in Japan itself. Since this was an exhibition held in an empire during an era of imperialism, a couple other colonies and semi-colonies got their own booths too. A second area in a different part of town highlighted culture and education and the changes that had come over Taiwan in both areas over the past 40 years. There was an area showing the contributions the police force had made in Taiwan over the past 40 years too, plus an area showing the prowess of Japan's military. But at the same time, there were movie screenings, there was a children's play park, and there was an exhibit called The Technology of the Future, featuring robots. The event lasted for 50 days, giving people plenty of time to check everything out. How did visitors react to all this modernity on display, all the robots and industry and other high-tech of the day? It can be hard to tell for sure. It's even hard for us to tell how impressive it might have been. Almost all the buildings that house these modern wonders were torn down after the expo was up. Tracking down direct mentions of the exhibit in private writing hasn't been easy either. For the most part, what we have to go on is the official record, which of course cast it all as a great success. But the organizers of this exhibit have found a way to get around this. First, there were a few people who did write about the exhibition directly. For instance, there was a travelogue written by a Japanese industrialist involved in Taiwan's sugar industry. He came back to Taiwan just to see the expo. As you might expect, his words are rather glowing. But Professor Mu says there's another way to figure out how people felt, and that's to look at literature. We know for sure that a number of the era's well-known Taiwanese writers did attend. And while their novels and poems might not directly refer to what they saw, they do give us some idea of what ordinary Taiwanese people must have felt seeing all of this. For instance, there was the author Lai He, who wrote about the plight of the small Taiwanese farmer, squeezed dry like his sugar cane at the hands of big industrialists, who did everything they could to manipulate the prices in their favor. Another writer, Wu Xingrong, is also mentioned. He came from southern Taiwan, sugarcane country, and one of his works is also less than complimentary about how sugarcane was done in those days. He wrote about how the smokestacks of sugar factories grade the sky and the heart. So just with the modern sugar industry, Professor Mu says, we have the words of three people with very different views. The industrialist who benefits from it all, and the writers who saw that mechanizing the sugar industry was far from benefiting everyone. Professor Mu says that in the exhibit, there are other examples of different views about the modern and whether it was any good. It isn't just words that have been challenging to find. Actual artifacts dating back from the expo are not very common either. We've already said that most of the buildings were demolished after the fact, and most of what was left were old entry tickets and badges for members of the group organizing the whole thing. There are also a few bird's-eye view maps showing the layout of the expo booths. That's why, Professor Mu says, most of the heavy lifting in this exhibit has to be done by historical images and whatever clues we can glean from the era's authors. Professor Mu says that there are two main areas in this exhibition. 
The first introduces the period at large and the expo, along with the different sites that hosted it across Taipei and Taiwan. The second part looks at the city of Taipei itself during the time of the expo. And here too, we see how official views of modernity and the actual situation on the ground were not always the same. There's the image of modern Taipei that the authorities promoted, and then the real world with problems like labor relations that this modernity brought in. This second part also introduces the visitors who came from all over the world to see the expo. We can see where different groups who came to visit colonial Taiwan went to. If you want to see what Taiwan looked like at the time, you're in luck. There's a film on display that was made a few years before the expo, not specifically for it, but to promote Japanese rule on Taiwan in general. Here, Professor Mu says, we can see Taiwan as it was, at a time when people prided themselves in and flocked to see a standard of modernity imposed from the outside, but also questioned and sometimes resisted it too. One final question the exhibit leaves visitors with is this, are we modern yet? As the museum's website puts it, the world hasn't stopped evolving since 1935. What constitutes as progress and what values do we pursue now? Looking at what the people of 1935 thought definitely puts that in perspective. I'm Curious John and I'll see you again next week. The Sound of the Puyuma Tribe on Radio Taiwan International. For every able-bodied Taiwanese man, joining the military is a rite of passage Back when there was a serious threat of war with China, military service lasted up to three years or more. But with warming relations between the two sides, required military service has been chopped down to less than a year. Kids these days take peace for granted. But a trip to the outlying Taiwanese island of Jinmen, just off the southern shore of China, is enough to remind you of how fortunate we are. In today's Ear to the Ground, I bring you the sound of a serious piece of artillery. An ear to the ground. Six, 
The head of an artillery crew is calling out all the members of the team one by one. They respond by shouting out their respective roles. There are seven of them in total, and in a moment, they're going to load a shell into an eight-inch howitzer and fire it off. We're at Lion Mountain Base on the northeastern tip of Jinmen, just two kilometers from China, but more than 230 kilometers from Taiwan. The base was carved into the granite rock here in 1969. It contains a tunnel that's 508 meters long and big enough to transport vehicles and artillery. Once the soldiers are done announcing their duties, they run into position, some around the howitzer, others around the shell. The gun that's being used here was built in the United States in 1944. It was used at the end of World War II and during the Korean War and the Vietnam War. Eventually, it would come to be used in Taiwan following the 823 artillery bombardment, which began on August 23, 1958. China pelted the island of Jinmen with nearly half a million shells in just 44 days, surprising the world. Defense Minister Yo Dawei was on the island at the time. He was injured in the attack and brought back to Taiwan, and then he used his experience to convince the Americans to provide Taiwan with the 8-inch howitzers. At this point, the coordinates are announced for the trajectory of the howitzer. Four members of the artillery team lift the shell and march towards the gun. They load it into the back and step off to the side. And then, based on the coordinates that were announced, they swivel the gun into position. And then, it's fired. Now, that's not the sound of a real shell being fired. They use wooden shells in demonstrations like this one. The real shells are 91 kilograms, or about 200 pounds, and have a range of 17 kilometers, or 10 and a half miles. That means they could easily reach inside mainland China, including the city of Xiamen. The shells had a blast radius the size of a softball field, and when they were first fired, China mistakenly said that Taiwan was using atom bombs. Now, as you can hear, this is just a performance. And those are not real soldiers either. They're civilians who spent half a month learning the procedures from real artillery teams. But the howitzer is the real deal. It's still in service and could be used in the event of a war. China has yet to renounce the use of force to take over Taiwan and continues to have more than 1,000 missiles aimed at the island. But nevertheless, with warming ties, the prospect of war has become a distant concern here in Taiwan. Today, many of those shells that landed on Jinmen back in 1958 have been melted down and formed into knives. But some of them were used to cast a 5.3-ton peace bell inscribed with the word for peace in more than a hundred languages. We took turns ringing the bell by pushing a long pole along a track and into the bell's waist. While this peace bell is likely to last a long time, you can see small ridges in the design on the sides of the bell, symbolizing the obstacles that are likely to arise in the pursuit of peace. With an ear to the ground, I'm Andrew Ryan.
Hey, Ellen, pull yourself together already. It's time to feast. Sit down at the table with Andrew Ryan and Ellen Chu on Feast Meets West. Hello, welcome to the feast, and this is Ellen Chu, and this is Andrew Ryan. Hello, and we have our two production assistants, also known as our summer interns. Uh, we have Angel and Winnie. Hi. Hi. Hello. Welcome back to the show. Yes. And it's summer vacation now. That's why we have our interns sitting mm-hmm. in here. And this is the best time to travel. But I guess this year is different. Mm, a lot mm-hmm. of people usually go in the summertime will go back home. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, I usually go back home in August. Well, I usually take my kids on a short summer vacation break, you know, traveling to either like Japan or go to, you know, like Okinawa by the beach, mm. you know, to hang out a little bit, to get some, you know, sun suntan mm-hmm. and have some fun. I think so. It's a, it's a great time for people either to go overseas or for like, uh, for example, when you're from Malaysia. Right. In the summertime, you would usually go home, right? Yeah. And this year, probably not going to go home. Yes, but as a silver lining, I'm here. Yes, you are here. That's Ooh. a silver lining for me, too. Wow. <laughs> and then, Angel, you're also uh, you're studying in Taoyuan, yeah. but uh, do you go back to Hualien at all in the summertime? Yeah, because my grandparents live there. So you go to see your grandparents. Yeah. Okay, mm. wonderful. Uh, so we're going to be talking a little bit about the taste of home and the kind of the dishes that can transport you back home. Um, and... I think in particular, we're going to be talking about Angel and a dish that transports her back home. We should mention that today is August 1st, mm-hmm. which is also Indigenous People's Day in Taiwan. Wow. Oh. And Angel, you're actually also from the Amis tribe, right? Yes, I'm Amis. That's wow, exciting. The, the most beautiful ladies come from the Amis, right? <laughs> that's what I hear too. <laughs> yeah, that's what I hear too the, when I grew up. The best looking lads too. Yes. Oh, okay. Mm. I just came back from Hualien. I think Tailuge over there is like mostly Amis, right? Mm, Tailuge is... Is also Tailuge too. Yeah, and okay. also Taiyatu. Yeah. Oh, okay. So they have three or four events. I think Sadiq and Sakizaya is also oh, maybe okay. there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the east coast of Taiwan is a very beautiful place. Many, it's beautiful. Many yeah. indigenous people there. Yes. Um, and today, actually, Angel is going to be telling us about a food that reminds her of home. What food is that? Yeah, it's called Mijanjanto Gatsua Tsumuri. Atsumuri. Why does it have like Gatsua? You know, Gatsua is Songlang. Cockroach. No, really? It's Taiwanese, is okay. It's But in the Amis language, what is this dish? It's stir fry snails. 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 Why does it have to be your favorite? Ellen just doesn't want to have it. I thought you like simple food. Because I I have eaten it for a long time since I was little. So actually, the first time I ate it, I don't know that snail. Mm. Okay. I think that is the meat from the seashell. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Because it says laurel. Okay. Mm. Yeah. So it's actually mm. very similar to um, some of the uh, shellfish that we would have mm-hmm. uh, in flavor and appearance, um, in texture. 
Mm-hmm. Now I noticed that you, so you said that in the Amis language, is that right? Yeah. I heard the very last part of it, tsumuri. Yeah, tsumuri. That's the snails, right? Yeah, gatsua tsumuri. Gatsua tsumuri. Yeah. In, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> cockroach snails. So no, but in uh, the Puyuma tribe, they also call it zumuri. Oh really? I think that might actually come from Japanese. Oh maybe. Mm. Yeah. But I have to. We'll, we'll have to look it up and see if that is the case. If I remember correctly, because they have a song that they sing okay. about the snails, and that's what they call it. Zumuri. Oh. Uh-huh. So how do we say? I, I'm sorry. We have to have a little Amis lesson. Okay. How do we say hello? Naiho. 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 Oh, that sounds very Mandarin. Nihao. Naiho. Oh, but I don't think that's or Mandarin. Or like Taigaho. Taigaho. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like Cantonese. <laughs> Haka. Hakanese is Taigaho. Taigaho. Do you speak a lot of the Amis language? No. No. Uh, I, I can't even count one to ten. <laughs> Wait, I can. I, I th- like, hold on. There's a you song. Can? There's a song. It's like, very similar to Malaysian. How do you say uh, one, two, three, four, five in Malaysian? Satu, dua, tiga, empat, lima, enam, tujuh, lapan, sembilan, sepuluh. It, the first four or five are similar, right? Yeah. Because I think one is Zai, Tu, Sa, Tu, Wa, and then Sakarima. Okay, so you could hear the uh, the numbers in there, right? Yep. Did that sound familiar, Wayne? Yeah, some of the pronunciation. It's, it's really like Malay language. Very similar. Yeah. And, Angel, you remember those, right? Yeah. Sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I think the reason why there's a connection is because they're both Austronesian languages. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So there's actually a, a, a connection between the Amis language, or actually all of Taiwan's indigenous languages, with the Austronesian language family, which goes from New Zealand to Malaysia to Indonesian, Polynesian, right? Polynesia, Indonesia, Madagascar, mm-hmm. Hawaii, even. Oh, even yeah. Hawaii. Even Hawaii. Mm-hmm. So why don't we go into our menu and see what's right. going to be on our show? All right, first course, Ellen Chu. Okay, in our first course, we'll discuss some of the strangest food from our hometown that other people can't handle. Mm, in our second course, we'll be telling you the differences between Taiwanese snails and French escargot. Mm. Plus, Angel is also going to be telling us how her grandpa finds his snails and how it's cooked. Okay, and in our third and final course, Angel's mom has stir-fried some snails for us to sample. Mm. Plus, we got something, some tips for making the dish. Wow. That's right. Okay. I'm looking forward to this yes. very much. He's going to he's going to, you know, steal the recipe and he's going to like Make it right at home. I'm going to make it for Ellen Chu every day. <laughs> I wouldn't be here every day, okay? <laughs> she, she's like, I'll be here once every two weeks. Right. All right, so we're going to go into a song. It's called Memories. And, of course, these are the memories that um, we are conjuring up with these foods from home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is by Maroon 5. Here's to the ones that we got. Cheers to the wish you were here, but you're not Cause the drinks bring back all the memories Of everything we've been through To 
Toast to the ones here today. Toast to the ones that we lost on the way. 'Cause the drinks bring back all the memories, and the memories bring back memories, bring back your. There's a time that I remember when I did not know no pain, when I believed in forever, everything would stay the same. Now my heart feels like December when somebody say your name. Cause I can't reach out to call you, but I know I will one day.、Yeah. Everybody hurts sometimes, everybody hurts someday.、Yeah, yeah. But everything gon' be alright. Gonna raise a glass and say,、yeah. Here's to the ones that we got. Cheers to the wish you were here, but you're not. 'Cause the dreams bring back all the memories of everything we've been through. Toast to the ones here today. Toast to the ones that we lost on the way, 'cause the drinks bring back all the memories, and the memories bring back memories, bring back your. First course. Okay, so we're gonna talk about strange food, right? Strange foods from, from home. home. Okay. Let's start off with you, Ellen. Me, from my home because my dad came from Shanxi, which is like northern China, and they like to eat like noodles and dumplings and you know mantou and all these you know different kind of like flour-based flour-based food. Yeah. So basically, I guess you know. So every meal he would like actually peel like raw garlic. Mm. And you know, from childhood, ever since I have memory, I see him like eating these garlic raw. So、oh. I tried it when I was very little, maybe when I was like four or five, and I loved it. Very、and、spicy, right? It's very spicy, and it matches everything. You know, even with white rice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that was something that every meal we would have peeled garlic sitting there on the table. On the table. How about、yeah. you, Winnie and Angel? Can you?、Um, I mean, are you、uh, on board with the whole garlic thing?、Um, I'm not a fan of garlic, but、right. my grandfather does that too, like、okay. adding garlic into white rice, and、yes. he even eats garlic raw, right, without adding anything into、right? anything. He and he says it's good for your health; it kills、mm-hmm. bacteria. Mm. Yes, I mean、uh, there are theories like that, but you know, for me, eating garlic that way, I I never thought that it would be like you know irritating to other people, you know. But <laughs> until I, you know, went to college and then went to school, you start living outside and you start doing this thing, and you you may like,、uh, are you serious? <laughs> eat garlic like that? I'm just like, yeah. What's wrong with it? You know,、mm. they're just like. This is incredible because you know you don't cook it. It's like really spicy,、mm-hmm. and sometimes even for me, you know, when I buy into one of those super spicy one, have you ever had it?、Yes. It's kind of like you know when you have brain freeze, it goes into your brain.、Uh. But you know, super spicy garlic, it really gets into your brain too, and you have that brain freeze expression in your face,、mm. and that gives you a high.、Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I could do one、um, piece of garlic with my dumplings, but beyond that, it's a little too much. It stays in your nose too long. No, it's good. Bad breath. Spiciness. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Wingy? Um, I don't know if you guys know about the marmite sauce. Marmite. Marmite. I、yeah. know it's kind of the thing that you spread over your bread. 
Yeah, that's what I'll be talking about. I、mm. didn't know it's a paste that people usually would spread it on bread because in Malaysia we use the marmite sauce to cook food. You use it to cook food, yeah, like stir fry or no, like um the coating for our famous dish is known as the marmite pork ribs. Oh, pork ribs. Okay.、Yeah. Uh, first we will fry the pork ribs and then we coat it with marmite sauce. Oh,、okay. it's like a glaze on top of it. Yep. So marmite actually is made from beer extract. Oh, I didn't know about that. It's all the leftovers, the yeast. Right. I mean, these days they probably don't use. I mean, in Malaysia, I'm sure they're not making beer, right?、Mm-hmm. I don't、mm, think probably so. Probably not.、Right. But it's very similar to Vegemite. So Vegemite and Marmite. So、right. Vegemite would be the Australian version. Marmite would be the British version. The British version.、Right. Yeah. And I can't imagine marmite being spread on bread. Actually, <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> it's very salty. Yeah. <laughs> and black too, right? Yeah, it's black.、Mm. But it's just kind of a Vegemite, right?、Mm. And Vegemite, I used to put them in rice、mm-hmm. and blend it. That's disgusting. Nice. That is really gross. So the sauce is not heated. You just put it in. I just、rice. put it on the rice, and then I I just kind of like you know stir it myself. Oh, to get the flavor into my rice, <laughs> and I can't eat just that and rice. I'm a weird kid, okay,、uh, in a way. Turn into a weird adult, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I also like wasabi.、Mm. You know, it's like every time I get like a big gulp of wasabi with soy sauce,、mm-hmm. and after I finish my, you know, whatever sashimi and things like that, I start, you know, just using my chopstick and <laughs> dipping the. The wasabi. You like that little burn in the back of your nose? Yes, I、oh, love it.、Okay. Yeah. How about you?、Um, She loves、Marmite. snails.、Um, you love snails, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> That's the it. The strangest things I have ever tried snails. I think. That's the strangest thing. Yeah.、Mm. Nothing else. Okay. Nothing else. That's already like breaking her little line already. <laughs>、okay. Stepping off the comfort yeah. zone. Yeah.、Uh-huh. Yeah. So for me, cheese is my weird thing. Um, I know it doesn't sound weird to you, Ellen. Doesn't、Chu, sound weird. But that's because you spent a lot of time in the U.S.、Uh-huh. But for a lot of people in Asia, like strange cheeses, like、mm-hmm. blue cheese. Okay, blue、uh, cheese. I don't like. Goat oh, I、cheese. love. I love blue cheese. Goat cheese. Love goat cheese.、Mm. I like a nice goat cheese in a salad. Ooh. Ooh. You could just pan fry some cheese,、uh, maybe some halloumi. Just don't or... invite me to dinner when you're cooking that. <laughs> <Okay> . <laughs> yeah. All righty. So、uh, we're gonna go into another song. Maybe、uh, Angel can tell us about this song. The next song is Ning Meng Chao's "The Way Dao," and it is from Jolene Tai Yiling. Okay,、mm. so the f- smell or the flavor lemongrass. of lemongrass. It's beautiful. I think for a lot of people, especially if you're Southeast Asian, the the flavor, the smell of lemongrass is very,、uh, you know,、We、brings up a lot of memories. Yeah,、mm-hmm. yeah. I bet you have a lot in Malaysia. Yes, in、yeah. almost every dish. Oh wow!、Mm-hmm. So that must be a flavor or a smell of home, right? Definitely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're gonna go into this song. When we come back in just a moment, we're gonna tell you. We're gonna start talking about snails. We're gonna tell you the difference between. French escargot and Taiwanese snails.
己，我终于也诚实了一点。是不是回忆就是淡淡柠檬草，心酸里又有芳香的味道？曾以为你是全世界，但那天已经好遥远。一圈，我才发现我有更远的平线。我们都没错，只是不适合。我要的，我现在才懂得。快乐是。Second course. Okay, so we are talking about snails in today's Feast Meets West, and、uh, of course, Taiwan is not the only place where you have snails. I think probably the most famous snails in the world are en France. Yes,、uh, so we have the escargot, but it's served a little bit differently. It's cooked a little bit differently, and it serves a different function within the meal. Yes. I definitely think so. So escargot, basically, I think the type of snail they use is different because the the shell is bigger,、mm-hmm. right? That's right. They have two different kinds.、Um, one is called escargot de Bourgogne, and apparently these are snails that actually、uh, live in the,、uh, I guess, the vineyards. In the places where they grow the grapes,、um, and then they have smaller gray ones called petit gris. Which means、mm-hmm. little grays,、mm-hmm. um, and of course they're going to be a very different kind of、uh, snail to the ones that we find here in Taiwan.、Mm-hmm. Um, and when they cook them, it's an appetizer. Oh, yeah. Have you had escargot? I had it when I was a kid, so I can't remember the taste.、Mm. I had it when I was a kid too. I. When my family traveled to Paris,、mm-hmm. so we had to have this dish, right? And I was just staring at it. I'm just like, oh my god,、mm. snail, okay? And then my mom's like, we are here in, you know, France, okay? In Paris, you have to have one, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of like grab one and I put it in my stomach. And I swear, I told my mom the snail was climbing in my intestine for the whole night. <laughs> And she's like, "No, that's crazy. It's impossible." Cray, cray. But you know, it's just very garlicky and cheese, right? Well, I think that's the thing with the French ones is they definitely use a very strong flavor. So they'll use like tomato sauce, probably、right. some strong garlic,、um, some cheese on top, melted on top. You see, you know, the thing is that when you have snail dish, you would find that. You know, no matter if it's in Europe, in the States, or you know, in Taiwan. Taiwan. They all use very strong, you know, flavor to、mm-hmm. it. So, you know, I always think, why do you like cover up the, the <laughs> taste of the snail itself? You know, when、mm. you have to do that, then don't eat it. Have you had snails without any of the、uh, strong flavors before, Angel? Raw,、oh, of course not. Of course,、raw. Not. <laughs> eat it raw. I didn't say raw, Ellen Chu. I just、okay. meant without all the extra flavors. I mean, just boil it. Yeah. Have you had it? 
I think I've had plain snails before. I mean, it's, it's not a great taste. It's no. not a great taste, see? It's a bit so, fishy. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess, you know, people are eating it for the texture, right? Mm, definitely the texture. It's okay. like um, chewing gum. They eat just chewing gum. <laughs> well, you can't swallow chewing gum. Okay. So the snails that we eat here in Taiwan are actually African snails. They're called Achatina furica. Furica. Yes. Okay. So do either of you want to tell me how these snails ended up in Taiwan? Angel, maybe you can tell us the story of how these big African snails found their way to little Taiwan. So actually, this kind of snail was like imported by a, a Japanese expert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. because he likes this kind of snail dishes. So he just imported. But actually, this is Ru um, Qingzhong. Oh, it's a, an invasive species. In fact, it's one of Taiwan's top 10 invasive species. Yeah. Now this uh, Japanese man, his name was uh, Sha Tiao Jiu Ma Yi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how to say that in Japanese. That's the Chinese pronunciation. Mm-hmm. So apparently uh, he came here. He brought them here from Singapore in 1933. Mm. And wow. But this first batch, uh, I guess Died. the first 20, they didn't uh, last. They froze to death. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he was very, very patient and he uh, decided he was going to bring 12 more. Mm. Um, and then what happened? It was successful. It was very yeah, successful. successful. Mm-hmm. They were very good at breeding. Yeah. We got more and more of them. Mm-hmm. And now we can't get rid of them unless we eat them fast enough. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Actually, you can find it, find the snail around Taiwan, anywhere. Mm. Yeah. Thank goodness to Grandpa who likes to eat it. Yeah. So <laughs> we won't be invaded. Yes, okay. that's right. Actually, um, we have a, a current problem, which is we have too much supply and not enough demand. Mm-hmm. So by us featuring it in our show today, maybe more people will be interested mm-hmm. in these snails. Now, where does your grandfather find them? How does he find them? Um, actually, he, he find it, uh, found it in the like Hualien the, because Hualien has a lot of like river, mm-hmm. you need to f- pick it from the Kling River. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And my grandpa said, because you can find it anywhere, like mm-hmm. even in Taipei, it's okay. around the river, but that there are too much pollution in Taipei. Mm-hmm. So actually, if you want to eat the snail, you should pick the snail from the like local area. Okay. And you also want to be careful of pesticides, so you don't want to actually get them from fields where they're growing crops. So actually, when I eat the snails, I always eat them in Taidong, where I know that the people who are collecting the snails know what they're looking Mm -hmm. for. They get the right kind of snails. Mm -hmm. Because actually what's really sad is every maybe every couple years, we hear a story about maybe Thai migrant workers Mm -hmm. who have found the wrong kind of snail and have eaten them and they've passed away because of it. So you have to be really careful Fortunately, your grandpa knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah. So I trust your grandpa. <laughs> I don't know that I would trust myself or anyone else to find these snails. Well, you know, today we have his granddaughter here yes. in our hands. That's so right. I'm sure he's finding <laughs> the right one for us to eat, okay? Yes. So can you tell us quickly, um, uh, before we go into our song, how your mom cooked the snails? Did you watch her cook it? I watch it and I ask her. She just like the first, you just prepare the garlic, ginger and chili and stir fry it first. And then add the snail into the wok. 
-hmm. and then seasoning with the black vinegar mm -hmm. and soy sauce and a little bit of water stir fry mm -hmm. it again and before you finish cooking you add the thai basil basil yeah uh, basil, basil the thai basil and some rice wine mm, yeah okay. so good it's important to put the basil in last because like, you don't want the leaves to go I like dark everything except the snail <laughs> <laughs> i like all the seasoning you know it's great well ellen chu maybe you can just eat the seasoning off the top <laughs> i'll just eat the onion she's gonna lick the snail and the basil, <laughs> and the basil. And i'm just gonna kiss kiss the snail kiss the snail okay. <laughs> Okay. I I love this dish. I think it is so delicious. It is it all this the seasonings and the flavors go together so well. And then the black snails, it's really just about the texture. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I look forward to this. Um but we're going to play a song first. Okay. And this is called what? Snail. Snail. Mm. All By right. J Cho. J Cho. And this is from his live concert. Mm -hmm. So we'll be back in a moment to sample the snails right here in the studio. The smell in the studio right now is of basil. Okay. Oh, and it smells amazing. Go ahead, go ahead, Winnie. Okay. Go ahead and try one. Um, Ellen mm. Chu's got one there too. And these actually. The garlic is amazing. Mmm. <laughs> a little it crunchy. Has a crunch. Mm. Why? Because they're cold. That's right, because oh. once they're cooked, they're a little bit warmer. Mm -hmm. Okay. After it goes in the fridge, then they get a little bit colder. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the ingredient is actually super amazing because, you know, the garlic and also the basil mm. and, you know, everything that that they put in there, mm -hmm. I'm sure it will make the snail taste very good, much mm. better than escargot, mm. <laughs> I would say. So your mom is Amis, right? No, my dad. Your dad. And yeah. your, how did your mom learn how to cook these um, from from your grandpa? Yeah. From your dad's father. Yeah, because she, she loves it and she just learned. Mmm, oh, it's so wow. good. And so for to get the snail, she always gets it from your grandpa? Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm, yeah. So your your grandpa must like ship like a whole box of it. But sometimes we will just go buy it from the market. Oh, yeah. okay. Mm. Only the market in the Hualien can get the like freshest now. Mm. Okay. Okay. Great. And nice and spicy too. Your mom yeah. adds some chili in this. I can yeah. tell it's got a kick. It has <laughs> but, a kick to it. Now, Angel, you were saying last night when your mom had stir fried it, you had some last night, yeah? Yeah, I, I think I have ate this for a week. 
A week? <laughs> <laughs> it's like the dish of their house. And yeah. I heard she makes it sometimes even spicier than this. Yeah, because my actually my my mom is from Sichuan. Oh, oh no wonder. Yeah, my my grandfather is Sichuan. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so she likes really spicy. Oh. oh, no wonder. So that's what I think is really special about these these home style dishes is that your family probably eats it slightly different than anybody else's. Mm -hmm. The level of spice is from your mom's side, and then this love of snails and the the garlic and the basil is from your dad's side. If you go to somebody else's family, it's going to taste slightly different. Mm -hmm. Like I know when I go to my godmother's house, who's Puyuma, mm -hmm. her, the way she cooks it is slightly different too. Mm. It's not as spicy, um, has just slightly different flavor. I don't even know how to describe how it's different, but I can tell that it's her dish. So there you have it. That's the taste of home for Angel. Mm. Um, and this is a great thing to do this summer. Now, one thing we were also looking um, at is the Amis tribe in the mm -hmm. summertime all up and down the east coast of Taiwan, um, they will have um, the annual uh, festival. Yeah. And so each village is a different weekend. Uh, and I think we checked out your village, uh, Fengbing, is, was last weekend. Yeah, last weekend. Yeah. Okay, yeah. They were all like dance together. And yeah. Did you go? On. No, because no? I have the intern here, so I cannot. No, oh, we should have let you out. <laughs> you should have like a field interview for us, right? Yes. Bring like a recorder and go record the entire festival for us. I would love that. Maybe so next year we'll do that. It didn't stop or, you know, become smaller in scale because of COVID-19? I don't think It's back so. to normal. Yeah. yeah. Back to yeah, normal? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're very fortunate. Yeah. I know. Yes. Wow. Okay. So there you have it. That's the, the uh, taste of home. We're going to leave you with our addresses today. Okay. Listen closely. P.O. Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan. And email us at androo at rti.org.tw. And next week, we're going to go a little bit plain. Mm-hmm. That's uh -huh. right. We are going to be serving up some plain bread. Wow. But it's bread with a story. Yes, and I heard that it's been viral for a while. That's right. Okay. And it's also connected to Father's Day because next week is Father's Day in Taiwan. Mm. So all these things tied together. Okay. One final song. It's called Ji Zhu Xie Yu Guan So Hermit so Crab. Hermit Crab plus Snails. Snails. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And this is by Hush. For VCs, I'm Andrew Ryan. This is Ellen Chu. And we have Angel and Wei. Thank you both for joining us this week. Thank, Thank you. you. All right, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye bye. Bye. <laughs> 
Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. <laughs> 